This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. In France, protesters have paralyzed public transport and closed schools in the second national demonstration against President Emmanuel Macron's most recent attempt to reform pensions. Mr. Macron wants to raise France's unusually low minimum retirement age from 62 to 64. But this has proved wildly unpopular. Over a million people attended the previous protest on January 19th, and 68% of French disagree with the reform. President Joe Biden said America would not send F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, despite pleas from Ukrainian officials for air support. Germany has also ruled out providing aircraft. However, Emmanuel Macron, France's president, said nothing is excluded when it comes to military assistance. Meanwhile, Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said Russia has begun its big revenge for Ukrainian resistance amid Russian attacks in eastern Ukraine. America said Russia is not complying with New START, the two countries' last remaining nuclear arms control treaty. Russia has suspended weapons inspections and pulled out of consultations, officials from America's State Department said in a report to Congress. The compliance failures heighten concerns that the two powers will be unable to negotiate an extension to New START, which expires in 2026. The Eurozone looks set to narrowly dodge a recession after the region's economy grew by 0.1% in the fourth quarter of 2022. Record energy prices, forced up by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and high inflation had been expected to contract the economy. The Eurozone's meager expansion is, however, somewhat inflated by Ireland, where multinationals book profits to swerve tax. George Santos, the American congressman who lied about much of his biography, told Republican lawmakers that he would temporarily recuse himself from his committee appointments in the House of Representatives. Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, had given Mr. Santos seats on the Small Business and Science, Space, and Technology committees. Mr. Santos faces multiple investigations into fabrications related to his campaign. The value of Norway's $1.3 trillion sovereign wealth fund, one of the world's largest, fell by around 14% in 2022. The fund, which holds assets nearly three times larger than Norway's GDP, lost 1.64 trillion krona, $167 billion, last year. Nikolai Tangen, its chief executive, said that the war in Ukraine high inflation and rising interest rates had done all the damage. British Columbia, a Canadian province, is beginning a three-year trial decriminalizing hard drugs, the country's first such experiment. Adults may now possess up to 2.5 grams of drugs like heroin, cocaine, fentanyl, and methamphetamine without being charged. Instead, they will be told about local health and social services. The nearby state of Oregon decriminalized drugs for personal use in 2020. And fact of the day, $230 billion, the amount China spent on defense in 2022. 
And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. India's Budget Balancing Act On Wednesday, India's government will present its budget for the coming fiscal year. Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister, has called it a ray of hope. Reality may be more sobering. India faces many economic challenges. Inflation remains close to the central bank's upper limit of 6%, and after splurging on social welfare schemes during the pandemic, government finances are tight, with debt rising. Investors will be hoping for signs of fiscal consolidation, such as a commitment to rein in spending. Yet the temptation for Mr. Modi may be to keep spending. A global economic slowdown risks tempering India's growth, the fastest among big economies last year. Unemployment is rising, too. And splurging would also have political advantages. Nine states are expected to hold elections this year. And this is the last full budget before a general election in 2024. Economists, however, expect that the government will resist populist largesse and instead focus on economic stability. Downshift, not dovish shift, for the Fed. The Federal Reserve is reducing the intensity of its monetary tightening. It is widely expected on Wednesday to raise interest rates by one quarter of a percentage point. That would be smaller than its last increase, a half point in December, which itself was a step down after a series of three-quarter point increases. The shift to smaller increments reflects the fact that with rates now high enough to restrict economic activity, inflation has started to decelerate. America's central bank has a tricky task. Many investors think it is moving away from hawkishness, perhaps opening the door to rate cuts before the year's end. That has helped cause a rebound in stock and bond prices over the past month. But the Fed worries that excessive rallies could undo this work to tame inflation. So Jerome Powell, the Fed's chairman, may deliver a stern message to try and rein in the bulls before they charge too far ahead. Myanmar's State of Emergency in 2015 and 2020, Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy won democratic elections in Myanmar and led the first civilian governments in decades. But Wednesday marks two years since the army took back power in a coup and shattered the country's young democracy, locking Miss Suu Kyi up for good measure. It is also decision time for the army which looks set to extend the state of emergency that it declared on the day of the coup. That keeps power in the hands of General Mingong Hlaing, who is also the prime minister, and who has failed to quell an anti-coup uprising that is becoming enmeshed in the country's old ethnic conflicts. Speculation abounds, nevertheless, that the regime will try to hold sham elections this year and begin a showy transition to a veneer of civilian government. The UN warns that a vote during the Civil War would fuel greater violence as resistance fighters try to derail the polls. Peace has rarely felt so remote. Investigating COVID Jobless Claims During the pandemic, American states paid out billions of dollars in COVID relief. 
including $794 billion in hastily arranged aid schemes to unemployed workers. But fraud was rife. Scammers claimed benefits using stolen social security numbers, taking the details of prisoners and even the dead. On Thursday, the House Oversight Committee will hold a hearing to investigate fraudulent claims, which by some estimates could total as much as $400 billion. With the Republicans now in control of the House, the Oversight Committee has new ambitions. James Comer, the new chair of the committee, wants to use it as a platform to scrutinize President Joe Biden and his administration more widely. Mr. Biden's family's business dealings, migrants at the southern border, and America's withdrawal from Afghanistan are all on the table. Benefit fraud, the focus of this hearing, will be hard to pin on Mr. Biden, however. The aid program was established during Donald Trump's term and only extended by Mr. Biden a year later. One Woman Show Goes Down Under Liz Kingsman's rise has been impressive. One Woman Show, written and performed by the Australian-British comedian, launched in a 50-seat venue just before the pandemic closed theaters in 2020. In 2022, it moved to London's West End. On Wednesday, it begins a run at Sydney Opera House. The one-woman show, in which a performer plays several characters, has a place in entertainment history. The form launched such comedians as Whoopi Goldberg. Miss Kingsman's one-woman show is a hilarious deconstruction of the genre. It parodies a trend inspired by Phoebe Waller-Bridges' Fleabag, in which a young female protagonist narrates her fashionably out-of-control life. One-woman show lampoons the vogue for revealing the personal. It's almost as if the more explicit this is, the braver I am, explains Miss Kingsman's onstage alter ego. It mocks, too, the way confessional comedy can lead to personal success. That her parody has brought her fame is, the real-life Miss Kingsman admits, Deeply ironic. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers, and as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers, and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday. Which magazine did Helen Gurley Brown edit for 32 years? Tuesday. What was the code name given to the development of the nuclear bomb during the Second World War? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Yevgeny Zamyatin. A literature that is alive does not live by yesterday's clock, nor by today's, but by tomorrow's. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.